Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, there's so much packed into this uh, gospel here today, Uh, but before we do that, as a country, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And if you get a chance, if you've never read it, Letters from a Birmingham Jail, it's one of the uh, very prolific texts in the history of our country. Martin Luther King wrote it when he was in prison. And what's important to note about it is you can sense how he sees the injustice of racism. It wasn't just like an intrinsic thing that he just felt this is a great injustice because for the history of humanity, one race has always thought less of another race. What changed? The gospel. Martin Luther King writes this letter, and it is full of gospel references and passages throughout Scripture to show what he was really feeling was kind of the zeal of God going through his bones to stand up for the injustice. It wasn't a fragile ego. It wasn't a political quest. It wasn't some moment of enlightenment where a bunch of people got together and said, maybe we shouldn't treat people this way. That's not how people changed. Humanity became sensitive to racism by encountering Jesus Christ through the gospel and men and women who put it into practice. That's why that uh, monument in D.C., in my opinion, is such an atrocity, uh, because they had to scour hard to find quotes from Martin Luther King where he doesn't reference God, Jesus, or Scripture, and they did, and they found maybe a few, and they put that up on stone as to not offend people, but it certainly doesn't do the man honor if you read anything he wrote. So that's your free MLK commercial. Okay, to the gospel, the thing that changes us. All right, they have this custom of fasting and they know how to fast and they know that that's part of their relationship with God. So that's their old ways. And now Jesus comes into the world, the infinite one in the flesh. And he's saying, well, you can't fast when the bridegroom's here. And he says bridegroom three times. And it's not like he was just like, hmm, what analogy will I use today? Hmm, let's just use bridegroom, see if they get that one. The, the reason he says bridegroom is this is precisely the main lens, the main message, the most consistent theme of God throughout the sacred scriptures. The most consistent way he speaks to us is through the image of spouses. There's other images to be sure, no doubt about it, but the most prevalent the most used is spouse. Adam and Eve are made in the image and likeness of God when he calls them to become spouses, one flesh. Throughout Israel, he's constantly talking to Israel as, I am your bridegroom, you are my bride. When you commit sin, it's not just you didn't do something right. In the scriptures, God says you're committing adultery. Once again, spousal language. John the Baptist considers himself the best man and says, the bridegroom is coming. The book of Revelations, we hear a wedding feast of heaven and the church comes down adorned like a bride to meet her bridegroom. St. Paul writes that for this reason, a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife and the two become one flesh. He says, it's a great mystery in regards to Christ and the church. So St. Paul saw the spousal meaning. Jesus on the cross, we could translate it, it is finished. What is he actually saying in Latin? It is consummated. And then at the Last Supper, what is he saying? This is my body given up for you, a gesture of self-giving love. Over and over again, 
So for him to say, well, can wedding feasts fast when the bridegroom is here? He's not just trying to find a neat analogy that might connect or something kind of a rhetorical device to get their attention. He's actually trying to deeply invite them into the amazing gift that they're a part of. He's saying, do you understand who's with you? So do you see what I'm offering? All of your fasting was because the goal of your life wasn't here yet. It was to keep you hungry, to keep you sensitive, alert, and longing for the day when the infinite life and love you've been looking for comes to you. On that day, you won't need to fast because you've reached your goal. The goal is taken on flesh and is looking at you, he's saying. The tender love of a bridegroom is present. All the joy of the wedding feast where we're celebrating in the union of humanity and divinity, heaven and earth, all is becoming well in Christ. He's like, I'm here with you. Do you see it? And of course they don't. They're like, no, we don't. There's no way you'd be the guy. You're from Nazareth and you say things we don't like and you're kind of challenging at times and we can't seem to figure you out. So no, you're probably not it. But then he goes on to teach us later on. He says, he talks about the old cloak and new cloak business. What he's saying is what you need to do with your religious practices is not have some and then add me. Start with Jesus and from him look out and see what is helpful. What is leading me towards Christ? I remember in theology, when I was studying theology, I read a book called The Joy of Being Wrong. And uh, it's this whole theological, psychological analysis of original sin. But he says, we tend to think of our lives that we're a house with a broken front door. And so what we need to do is just get a new front door, and that's Jesus. Good. He gives us the new front door. Our house looks good again. Our lives are doing fine. He says, in reality, what we need to do is Jesus is the front door and then we need to demolish the house and rebuild the house around the new front door of Jesus. Jesus is the sure foundation, St. Paul says. Jesus is the one through whom, with him, and in him that we come to know what life is actually about. In fact, St. Paul will say at times, I consider everything as rubbish which is a very clean translation of what he said, all right? But he considers everything as nothing, useless, except knowledge of Christ. What he's saying is, if we begin with Jesus, the bridegroom, the one who loves us, the one whose life, love, voice, presence fills our souls, gives our life meaning and direction, if we begin there, then we have the criteria to decide what is helpful and what is not. He's the new wineskin that we'll put all of our life in. He's the one that determines how we'll spend our free time, what time we wake up, when we go to bed. And now he's the one who determines the meaning for our fasting. Why do we fast now? Because we're still meant to fast on Fridays and during Lent. Why? Well, if the bridegroom was here, what's going on? Well, it's a Christ relationship. We fast because he's here, but not the fullness of him. That we get tastes of him, but not the fullness. And so fasting teaches not just our minds, but even our bodies to look forward to the resurrection of the body where we can be with him in heaven. And finally, infinite love will pervade us and we will finally know satisfaction. All of that beautiful hope comes to us on the altar today and gives us what the Catechism calls the Eucharist, 
the pledge of future glory. That in the future, this will happen in a permanent, abiding, literally ineffable way where divinity will flood humanity and our humanity will be taken up into the eternal exchange of the Trinity. And then we will know what life is. We will know peace. We will know joy. And we'll know why he said he's a bridegroom. The littlest, littlest glimpse of this eternal glory is given through every beautiful, good, and holy marriage. Amen.